0: This is episode number 168 with Joshua Fields Milburn of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating
1: exploration of human potential. Now. 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 Now, The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: of Founder Magazine and host of this podcast and I'm coming to you from hometown, homegrown uh, Melbourne, Australia. So I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. If you're new to the Founder Podcast, we interview some of the most successful founders and entrepreneurs all around the globe that are either number one or two in their industry and really disrupting uh, the space that their company is playing in. And before I jump in and talk about today's guest, I just want to give you a bit of an update on what's happening in my world. Um, so, a few exciting things are happening. Uh, we're really scaling up courses in a big way. It's funny; I never thought, you know, when we started, you know, producing this magazine, that we get into courses. And we're not going to do courses how everyone else is doing courses, where you know, the like usually the solo, it's a solopreneur and they teach and stuff like that. What we're going to do is we're going to find pretty much practitioners not gurus people that are doing really really you know really really amazing things and getting them to teach and pretty much do effectively What we've done with the magazine covers, using our network and speaking to you guys, finding out what your biggest problems are, finding out what courses you want us to produce and then going to our network and and getting all the people that we've interviewed for the magazine to teach courses. Um, So it's going to be incredible. I'm really excited. And we have a goal of rolling out 20 courses next year, which is exciting uh what else is happening i'm going on a holiday to bali soon which is really exciting it's going to be the first time that i'll take a non-work holiday since i started founder you know over three years ago which is crazy i go on a lot of holidays but usually work related and uh you know another thing uh that i've been doing a lot is i found a new passion found a new hobby and i've been doing boxing a lot and going to the gym a lot which is really really good and i'm really really enjoying that and uh Yeah, things are going well. We're on a good uh, growth spurt at the moment with Founder, which is exciting. So let's talk about today's guest. This one's a bit of a mix up because he's not your traditional founder that you would think that we would interview, but that's what makes this one interesting. Like, you know, we get a ton of super successful entrepreneurs and founders, and Joshua, in his own right, has built an incredible business, an incredible movement, and that's around minimalism. Now, some of you might have heard of minimalism and living a minimalistic lifestyle. Some of you may have not. They produced an epic documentary that I highly recommend that you watch on Netflix. And I'm guilty of being a consumer myself. And uh, yeah, we really just talk about life and, you know, really talk about what it means to live a minimal life. And it doesn't mean that you have to change up everything. But in, in this world right now that we live in, there are more than ever so many distractions there's more than ever like things that you want to buy that don't necessarily always add value to your life and you know uh you know joshua really it's a great conversation all i can say is a great conversation i think you'll find this one really interesting and i'm just going to leave it at that but i promise you after you listen to this one you will enjoy it true to founder style just really great content if i do say so myself If you are enjoying these interviews, please do take the time to leave us a review. If you uh, would like to know more about what we do, just go to founder.com. And if you would like to check out the show notes, just go to founder.com, F-O-U-N-D-R.com forward slash 168. Okay, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. All right, so the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job?
1: <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's interesting cause I don't think of it as a job really. I mean, I, I think I kind of used to have a job that morphed into a career in my twenties. I'm, I'm 36 years old now. And, um, let's see when I was, when I was, I grew up poor, like, like really, really dirt poor on, on government assistance and, and, uh, food stamps and, I thought the reason we were so discontented growing up is because we didn't have a lot of money. And so when I, when I turned 18, I went out and I got that corporate job, right. That, that entry-level sales job and um, started climbing the corporate ladder. And I was making good money. By age 19, I was making better money than uh, my my parents had. And um, then I started getting promotions in my early twenties and, by, by my late 20s, I was sort of living the American dream. I had the, the six figure salary, the luxury cars, the closets full of designer clothes, uh, the big suburban house with more toilets than people. You know, I, I really had all the stuff to fill every corner of my consumer driven life. But I wasn't really contented with that. And I, I always felt like I was one promotion away in my career from being happy, you know, but I was, of course, I had all these other things that came along with that ostensible success. I had stress and anxiety and discontent and overwhelm. And of course, a boatload of debt, just massive amounts of debt, six figures worth of debt, half a million dollars. If you count my mortgage, I I got to a point where I felt stuck because I was so tethered to a lifestyle. And there was this interesting thing that, as I was climbing the corporate ladder, I had a whole plan. You know, at one point it is sort of the pinnacle of my, my time in the corporate world. I was uh, the director of operations for 150 retail stores. So I was, I was basically managing 150 retail stores and all of the employees and the finances and everything that went along with that in, in the Midwest and the United States. And man, I, as I got closer to the guys I aspired to be like, the vice presidents and the senior vice presidents and the C-level executives, you know, the COO, CEO, CFO, I realized that a lot of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of them, they were kind of miserable. And, and if I worked really hard, if I, I spent the next 15, 20, 25 years working my butt off, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Then maybe I could be just as miserable as them, and it was it it was only obvious as I got closer. You know, once you once you get closer to something, the flaws start to become illuminated. And I, I think we all tell ourselves, "Yeah, but I'll be different." But if you follow the same recipe, you're going to bake the same cake. And and the truth is, I followed their recipe. I was working really hard. I was really good at what I did as a result, I was really tethered to that identity. I mean, I think it's one of the first things we do when we meet a new person, we'll say, what do you do? And I don't think we mean anything bad by that question, but we often define ourselves by what our job title is, right? What's What's that thing that's printed on our business card? I'm gonna sum up my entire life in uh, a few short words. You know, for me, it was, well, I'm the director of operations for this company. And that was supposed to define who I was as a person. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with, with working a, a nine to five. I think we all have to pay the bills. My problem was my entire life was wrapped up in this identity of being this exe- executive who aspired to be a, a, a vice president and then to be a C-level executive. I whole, had a whole plan mapped out by age 40. I was going to be the COO of this company. And I was well on the way of doing that. I was, I was the youngest director in, in my company's history. But I realized that I was successful only in a, in a, a very narrow sense. I might, may have looked successful. I had the job title. I had uh, the income. Uh, I had the, the house and sort of the, these these trinkets of success. But I wasn't successful in a broader sense. Yeah, I wasn't healthy. I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now. Uh, I felt discontented. I felt kind of stuck. I didn't feel like I was pursuing anything that was a creative endeavor. I didn't feel like I was living a a meaningful life, I I didn't feel like uh, my relationships were very solid because most of my time was spent, it was really spent in close proximity to people who were closest to me in terms of proximity, but but not closest to me in terms of my values, my interests, my beliefs, uh, who the person I wanted to be was. And so, as a result, I sort of projected an image of myself. Like I'm, I'm this particular guy. I'm going to fulfill this this template. And that template was sort of this American dream lifestyle. I mean, I literally had a a white picket fence. And um, man, I, I I realized that that's an okay template for some people, but maybe the American dream wasn't my dream. And maybe, just maybe, it took getting everything I thought I wanted to realize that everything I ever wanted wasn't actually what I wanted at all. It took a moment in my life where, where I think we all have these sort of inciting incidents where something, something wakes us up. It jars us enough. It's almost like a, a metaphorical car crash. Uh, for me, I was a double car crash. My, my mother died and my marriage ended both in the same month and And those two events forced me to look around and start to question what had become my life's focus and It turns out I was so focused on my career I was so focused on so-called success and and achievement and especially on the accumulation of stuff and I was tied or tethered to that really and um man maybe i maybe I had to do something else if I wanted to to live a life that was a bit a bit more rewarding uh was more broadly successful and and I knew that throughout my twenties i i i had written fiction and i uh that was the thing i wanted to do i always said i wanted to be a, a writer i was an aspiring writer and i think that's that's a problem that a lot of the people in your audience will face they're a, an aspiring something right We're an aspiring on, entrepreneur they are an aspiring uh writer they're an aspiring podcaster they're an aspiring entertainment you a person actor whatever it may be But the problem with that is that just meant I didn't write very much. I I aspired every day, but but if that's all we're doing, we're not actually putting in the work. And so I realized I needed to make some changes in my lifestyle so I could reprioritize my life. I if you would have asked me back then what my priorities were, I I would have given you lip service on the yeah, I I would have said my health is a priority or writing is a priority. But really, I think our priorities are how we spend our days. And so if you show me your calendar, I'll show you what your real priorities are. You show me how you spend your days, whether it's incessantly checking Facebook or watching television or you know, just checking email you know, 150 times a day or whatever the supposedly high level successful people do. And and. Th- those are our real priorities, and they get in the way of what we aspire to do. And I had to sort of flip that around and and turn the things that I aspire to do someday into things I wanted to start doing today. And um, so I, I started writing a lot more, and uh, fiction was really the thing that, that really stood out to me. But uh, pretty soon that pivoted into writing about some of the changes I was making in my own life. And uh, my best friend and I, uh, we started a website called TheMinimalists.com. And uh, that was about six and a half years ago, and and I was just writing about uh, just nonfiction uh, about my life and some of the things I was implementing, and and people started finding value in that, and and so what I do today, whether it's that or or the minimalist podcast or the documentaries and and everything else, it, it's really to add value to other people's lives, and and the thing that I learned most is that if I add value to other people's lives, regardless of the medium, then then people are willing to support what you do, and so. How did I get my job? I mean, the the short answer to that is I I started adding value to other people's lives.
0: Mm, interesting. So, tell me how you came across this concept of minimalism.
1: It was for me. It was it was uh, Twitter. Actually, you know, I was kind of just looking for some answers, and I was late to social media. I think I joined Facebook, Twitter, and MySpace all on the same day, <laughs> and. Um, <clears throat> This was late 2009, right after those, those two events uh, happened to me with my mom and my marriage. And I was just sort of looking for answers, like, where do I go from here? I know I want to pivot to somewhere, but how do I do it? What do I do? And I ran across a guy named Colin Wright, who was this entrepreneur who traveled the world. He moved to a new country every four months. And everything that he owned fit in his backpack. And, and while I thought that was admirable, I thought it was really cool that he owned like 52 items. I knew that lifestyle wasn't for me. I like owning more than 52 items. I like having a a couch and a kitchen table. The the problem for him is those things would have gotten in the way, right? You can't fit your kitchen table in the overhead bin of an airplane. And he was moving to a new country every four months and writing about it. And he said this thing called minimalism allowed him to pursue what he was passionate about. And, And that's where a light bulb sort of went off for me. I said, well, wait a minute, I'm not passionate about travel. Like this young guy is maybe Minimalism can allow me to pursue what I'm passionate about, which for me was writing. And I mean, obviously, I have other passions as well. I don't think any of us were meant to do one thing. I don't think you were born to be a a podcaster or an astronaut or a yoga instructor or an accountant. I think there are dozens, if not hundreds of things we can all be passionate about uh, the secret for me, or the, the key, rather, not the secret, the, the key for me was discovering something aligned with my values and, and my beliefs and, and the person I wanted to be. And for me, that was writing. And, and I realized that, wait a minute, if I simplify my life, if I'm, if I'm no longer tethered to that other lifestyle, if I'm not, no longer tethered to someone else's template of happiness or success or contentment, then you know what? I can probably pursue what I'm interested in, these sort of creative endeavors that that I'd like to try out, but I said, well, wait a minute, maybe this minimalism thing is only for young entrepreneurs who are traveling the world. And of course that ended up not being true. I I discovered a bunch of other people, uh, many of whom we interviewed in our our documentary uh, that's on Netflix called minimalism. We, uh, we went out and and talked to people like Leo Babalta and his wife, Eva, and they have six kids together. They're a whole minimalist family. And I said, wow, you know, at the time I didn't have any kids and my marriage had just ended so I was somewhere in between all of that, right? I didn't want to be the the globe-trotting, peripatetic writer like Colin, and I didn't want to have six kids like Leo, but I knew I'd probably fall somewhere in the middle. And if I wanted to simplify my life, I'd have to look at all these different recipes, people like Courtney Carver, who's a, a mother to a teenage daughter, or Joshua and Kim Becker, who have a family that lives in the suburbs, and all of these different minimalists had different recipes for minimalism. And if I wanted to simplify my life, I could tweeze out a few ingredients from each of their recipes and create my own recipe for a more intentional life. And that's really where it started with me. It was basically a question that that started the whole thing was, how might your life be better with less? And by answering that question, I was really able to identify the, the purpose of minimalism. It wasn't just the the how-to side of things, but the why-to side of things. And I realized I'd have more time for my health and my relationships and, and certainly my finances. I could finally get those under control because even though I make good money in the corporate world, I, I spent even better money. And that's why I had all that debt because I was constantly chasing someone else's uh, idea of what I should have, uh, buying things that I didn't need with money I didn't have to impress people I didn't know. And uh, I had to let go of that so so that I could uh, pursue what was important to me.
0: Hmm. So, you did you straight away give up your job that you were working uh, in operations or just kind of was a slow transition?
1: It was a long transition and there was a lot of pain involved in that transition because I had so much debt. I knew that I couldn't just simply do an about face and turn the other direction and, and run away. I, th- that would have been irresponsible. you know, completely making a, a large change without any kind of plan as a recipe for discontent and and dissatisfaction. And uh, while it would have been really nice to just say, well, you know, walk into my boss's office and say, screw you, I quit. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, that would have been irresponsible. And And so I put together a plan and it took me several years. It took me about uh, two years before I was uh, two years of really really hard work to to leave the corporate world, and then two year two more years after that before I was debt free, and uh, so it was about four years total to go down that road of financial freedom, which is you know a special kind of freedom because once we're once we're no longer anchored to that debt, we're able to to move around a lot more freely. We we gain back this sort of mobility and this. Uh, this ability to, um, well, to, to also tell it how it is, right? I mean, when we are, we're beholden to other people, whether it's uh, stakeholders or, um, you know, people who sort of dangle this check over your head, you uh, you don't really have the autonomy that you would like to have, and we're all going to have responsibilities. You know, I have responsibilities to other types of people now. I, we have a a large audience of about 20 million people in, in total, whether it's the, the podcast, the, the documentary, or the essays that we write on our blog. But my responsibility is to them, and it's not to one single person who's able to, to uh, you know, stop everything from happening. And, and so the difference now is my actions align with my values. And, and for me, that's been the, the key to contentment in what I'm doing. And it's no longer just pursuing happiness, right? It's pursuing meaning in the work that I do. And happiness is, is really a byproduct of that.
0: Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. exclusive savings on startup tools and 24 7 real human support try founder plus today for just one dollar for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence you can visit founder.com forward slash founder plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial all right now let's jump back in the show Mm, i see so when it comes to to living uh i guess with a minimalist lifestyle can you talk me through how someone could get started and then also I'm really curious around you know how much stuff do you own right now
1: <laughs> Certainly yeah so so for me it really did start with that question I asked a second ago how might your life be better with less and the reason that question's so important is it helps you identify what the benefits of simplifying your life will be for you and they might be different for you than they are for me and so the reason that's so important it gives you the leverage you need to keep going. I think we all instinctually know how to declutter our closets, right We all understand uh, yeah you're not going to see me or Ryan write something the the sixty five tips on how to uh, declutter <laughs> your your uh, kitchen or something it's just because that 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 uh, to me is is kind of trite and, and vapid i'm much more concerned with the the why well what what's the purpose yeah, exactly. How do I change that mindset? How do I keep going when times get tough? And for me, originally it was the the benefit of of financial freedom, regaining that control. But then I, I started uncovering all these other really interesting and cool and exciting benefits. The benefits like uh, I could spend time with the people I actually want to spend time with, the people closest to me, like my primary relationships. It used to be I spent ninety percent of my time with people who were sort of acquaintances, coworkers, networking buddies, executives. And they weren't necessarily bad people, but it meant that I would necessarily forsake the people closest to me because I had only 10% of my time left. And so I reprioritized our relationships. That was a great benefit. I had more time for things like writing or other creative, creative endeavors. I had the ability to finally contribute in different ways to my community, whether that was soup kitchens or food banks or donating money to charity. And uh, you know, in the last six years, Ryan and I have done a lot of cool stuff with, uh, with our platform. And, and it's one of we're really at the 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 most important things for me to live a a meaningful life and it sounds cliche but but giving is is living and i found ways to be able to give that i couldn't before because i've inspired other people to help help us give so we we've built an orphanage on the us mexico border we've built clean water wells in malawi um we funded a high school for a year we built an elementary school in laos uh, we helped some of the victims of a terrorist attack in Orlando, Florida last year, and so these are different ways that we can contribute. And I don't do it just for myself. It's not a hundred, or not just for other people. It's not 100% altruistic. I, I do it for myself as well. I, I mean, I feel good when I'm able to contribute, and it benefits other people. And so. Um, it, it's really been a win-win for me. And, and I've I've had more time and resources to do that now. When I say resources, I obviously don't just mean money because I don't make the same money I did in the corporate world. But we have other res- resources that are more important than money. Our time and our attention are the two most precious resources we have. And quite often we just give those up willy-nilly, right? We're We're constantly checking Instagram or something and Instagram is a tool. We can use it, uh, but we can also get lost in the, the glowing screen that's in front of us and forsake the things that, that are most important that are around us. And I think by, by letting go, we're able to start – once we deal with that external stuff, the, the clutter in our lives, that's really a, a physical manifestation of what's going on inside. So if we deal with what's going on outside, we start dealing with this emotional clutter the mental clutter, spiritual clutter, this internal clutter, the financial clutter, all these other types of clutter that are going on in our lives. And so when I first embraced minimalism, I was 28 years old, and my life looked appreciably different from what it does today. And so the next question I asked after, how might your life be better with less is, uh, does this thing add value to my life? And I started asking that about all the things in my health. So I uh, I was an average American, and the average American household has about three hundred thousand items in it. And uh, so I had to start letting go of some of it. And the way I did that was asking that question over and over and over: Does this thing add value to my life? But of course, now at age thirty-six, I have a four-year-old. Uh, we we were uh, actually my partner Rebecca is uh, giving her a bath right now. We just finished up dinner, and um, I, I I realized that the things that added value to my life at age twenty-eight. Are going to be di- different from the things that add value to my life now so it's a it's a continual pursuit it's not like I could give you a list of well here here are the hundred items you should own and then you will be happy. I wish I could do that that would be so much easier but but the truth is that the things that added value at twenty eight they May stop adding value tomorrow, uh, the next day, the next day. So I have to keep asking that question. And of course, I ask that same question when I bring new things into my life. Yeah, you know, if, if I'm buying something new for Ella, our four-year-old, then I have to I have to figure that out. If I'm bringing something new into my life, is this actually going to add value to my life? And so uh, that's an important question. And then for anyone who who in you, who's in your audience who is thinking about simplifying. I found that decluttering for me was a bit boring, and so Ryan and I, uh, at the Minimalists, we we figured out a way to make it a little bit more fun with some friendly competition. We call it the 30 Day Minimalism Game, and you can find all the details to that over at our uh, our website, theminimalists.com/game. But basically, the way it works is you partner up with someone—a friend, a family member, a coworker—and over the course of one month, you decide to get rid of some stuff. A friendly competition so the first day of the month you each get rid of one item second day of the month two items third day of the month three items starts off really easy get you that momentum you need because we're all overwhelmed with stuff we don't even know where to start you get to start somewhere but by the middle of the month it starts to get more difficult so you can bet whatever you want that month you can bet a nice dinner or a dollar or a large sum of money whatever you want to bet and um by, by the middle of the month, you said, okay, today is day 15, I'm going to get rid of 15 items, day 20 is 20 items, but tomorrow I have to get rid of 21 items. Whoever goes the longest in the month wins. If you both make it to the end of the month, you've both won because you've gotten rid of about 500 items. and That's a, a pretty good start toward uh toward simplifying your life.
0: Hmm, I see. And When it comes to living a minimalist lifestyle, one thing I'm really curious around, because please understand, Joshua, I'm... I I'm probably would be considered a consumer. Like I love tools, gadgets. I think Kickstarter is cool, so I buy things that I probably don't need. So this is like – this is really helpful for me. Um, you know, you talk sure. about you're looking at your desk. I'm looking at my desk right now. I'm at my home office while I'm speaking to you, and it is, it is a little cluttered. It's not too bad, but there is a little bit of stuff everywhere. But I've got, you know, these two big – you know, super expensive 27 or whatever it is, the biggest IMAX screens I can get alongside each other. Sure. I'm I'm curious, like for me, with someone with like a passion for technology and gadgets and stuff, like how, how do I work through that? You know, like.
1: Yeah, well, a few things. One is I don't think there's anything wrong with consumption. I think we all need some stuff, right? And I would argue that consumption isn't the problem. The problem is really compulsory consumption. You know, we, we see upwards of 5,000 advertisements every single day, and those, those advertisements compel us to buy things that not only we don't need, but things that don't add value to our lives. So, so I tend to, to break things into a couple different piles. We have essentials, we have non-essentials, and we have junk. And most of us, most of the stuff we bring into our life is junk, Right. It's something that doesn't really add value. It has some sort of perceived value at some point in time. We we buy it because we think we can afford it because quite often we just look at the the price tag of the thing. And so we might be able to afford the, uh, you know, whatever widget we want to buy, but we don't think about all the other costs. I mean, first off, if you put on a credit card, you can't afford it, right? That's debt. And there's no such thing as good debt because that prevents us from being from being free in some way. And so there are all these other costs that are sort of embedded in the items that we don't think about. There's the cost of storing the thing, taking care of the thing, cleaning the thing, replacing the thing, changing the thing's batteries or changing the thing's oil or putting gas in the thing, recharging the thing, worrying about the thing, right? So there are all these other costs. So the cost of the space the thing takes up or the storage locker that we have to put the things in when we get too many things in our life. And and these are the real costs, the actual costs of owning a thing. It goes way beyond the price tag. Now that said, if many of the things in our life are junk, you know, probably close to 90% of the things in our, and many of our lives are junk. There are still two other piles here. There's the, the true essentials, the things that I absolutely need in my life. Those things are few and far between, but there are some things that you need your computer that's in front of you. But then there are other things that add value to your life, and I think those things are important as well. They enrich our lives. You you might call these things wants uh, versus uh, uh, the the junk. There are some things that you don't truly need, but they add value to your life. And I say there's nothing wrong with that, but those things are what makes life interesting or passionate or – or just gives us the ability to do something else other than, you know, twiddle our thumbs all day. I embrace technology. I'm not a Luddite. I I'm talking to you right now on on a smartphone. Right. And I, uh, I have a computer at home and and what I've realized is that I don't want to deprive myself. Minimalism isn't about deprivation. It's about getting rid of the excess. So the things that I own, this is a weird paradox of minimalism actually I get far more value from the few items I own than if they were watered down with hundreds of thousands of other items. And so I'm a lot more deliberate with the, the things I bring into my life. But I also realize that I'm not trying to be a monk or an ascetic. I like having some stuff that adds value to my life. The key is to be to be reasonable, but also to be honest with yourself. We can justify just about anything, but I don't hold on to things that I'm... I'm that I, I once purchased, and I don't hold on to them uh, just in case. That's like the worst excuse that I used to always have. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna hold on to this old you know, BlackBerry charger just in case I need it someday and some non-existent hypothetical future. And that that let me hold on to a bunch of stuff I didn't actually need. It was it was junk, but I could let go of it and add value to someone else's life. Just because I don't get value from it doesn't mean that someone else won't. So I stopped selfishly clinging to those things that. For so long, I was selfishly clinging to, and when I let go of it, I figured, you know what, maybe someone else can use this. Maybe someone else can benefit from the things that I, I no longer find value in. The last thing I'll tell you about that is I also believe in, that some limitations breed additional creativity, and uh, yeah, I don't think it really matters which pencil or pen that Stephen King wrote his last book with, right? What, mat- what matters to him is he's using a pen or a pencil, but he doesn't need all the additional accoutrements. It doesn't take all of these extra special top secret writing programs and, and, and uh, apps and everything else uh, to, to pin you know, the next great novel. It literally takes a pin to pin that next great no- novel. Some of the things might add value, but I think if we, we remove a lot of the things that we pretend add value to our lives. We can always reintroduce those things in the future, whether it's technology or physical possessions, to see whether or not they, they do truly add value to our lives.
0: Mm, I see. Interesting. Um, so we have to walk towards uh, wrapping up, Joshua, but I, I've wrote down a, a ton of questions that I just want to go fire at you, man. Um, and there might be might, – and please, you know, if I'm asking them, please don't take offense because it's, it's coming from just a, a place of curiosity, Okay. Certainly. Um, so, one thing that I've noticed uh, amongst extremely successful entrepreneurs, founders, is they're extremely hungry, um, and that and that hunger is 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 what I guess is is a big part of that catalyst of, of them building, you know, a, a disruptive business or you know a business that is making a big impact on the world or they're number one or two in their industry. Um, do you think you can have that hunger that, that's the new, that I hope you know, I'm describing, uh, and live a, I guess, a purposeful, uh, life, you know, with, with the essentials, like living in, you know, as a minimalist or an essentialism and still be happy?
1: I think so. I'll, I'll tell you, I don't think happiness is the point. I think, I think, uh, living a life of purpose or just what I would call meaningful life is is really the point, aligning those short-term actions with the long-term values. And, and yes, I I certainly think you can. I, I, um, I, I would say I'm not competitive anymore. That was one thing that was really difficult for me to let go of. Uh, but you can still have that hunger in the sense that I aspire to be the best version of myself. So if I'm competing with anyone now, it's my, yeah, I'm at 36 now. I'm competing with my 46 year old self, and and can I achieve what? Am I going to look back in the mirror and say, "Wow, I did the best I could given given my circumstances and the resources that I have." And I know it's not going to be perfect, but as long as I can look myself in the mirror and say, "I did the best I could do. I put my best foot forward," then, of course, I give myself permission to be happy.
0: Hmm. Um. Do you think? living your lifestyle or the lifestyle that you're living or, or having this way of living. um, Do you, do you ever think to yourself um, or what what are your thoughts on, is it ever enough?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, so the, the word enough is important because that word is perspectival for, for each person, right? What's enough for me is going to be different. Even for someone like Ryan, who has a relatively similar life to me. And we, we run a website together. We have similar interests and, and desires, but he has different hobbies. So, so he has, he has some different things that will require him to acquire n- new things. And so enough changes over time A- and having too much is not good, but having not enough is also not good. You know, sort of this, I've lived both sides of the spectrum. I, I've had, I grew up really poor, I had no money. I made really good money in the corporate world. And what I realized is that we hear this whole platitude: money doesn't buy happiness. But guess what? Neither does poverty. It has to do with something else. Our, our, our life can be augmented by the money or the things or the experiences that we have, but it all really starts from from what's going on inside. And I think the thing we need to realize right now is just about anyone in your audience already has enough of the essentials the key then is what are the things that are going to augment your life what's what what's going to make your life better pursue those and let go of everything else
0: hmm okay I've got another one one thing um, I was thinking of as well is is one thing one of my mentors taught me who runs a very very successful business um, you know number one or two in his industry with that business uh, you know nine figure plus he, he, he said to me around you know it's really good to reward yourself with items, because it reminds you where you've come from. Um, may not be items, maybe first class flights. I, I don't know. Definitely would not fulfill. Kind of, you know, how you you spoke about. You know, do do I really need this? Is this doing this its job, or or is it bring value to my life? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I love experiences over over things whenever possible. And so rewards can be nice. They can be, be be sort of nice markers or benchmarks, and that doesn't have to be a physical thing necessarily. A reward can be you know, owning an experience. That can be a vacation or just a trip, or like you said, a first first class flight. Flight that can be really beneficial. Uh, the other thing, sometimes I like consumables. You know, in fact, when I'm buying gifts for someone else. I will try to gift them an experience or I'll gift them a consumable, a nice bag of coffee or a bottle of wine or a shared experience that we can have together, concert tickets, a meal, something like that. And, and just, I just had a birthday recently and my partner, Rebecca, she she bought us a couple's massage and that's a, a great experience we were able to have together. She benefited from it. She double benefited from it because she got the massage as well, but she also yeah, you know, got to make me happy, which I know makes her happy as well. And we care about the people closest to us. We obviously want them to be happy. Well, guess what? The person closest to you, absolutely closest to you is you. And of course you want, you, you want to reward yourself for, for doing what you're doing as long as you feel like you've, you've earned or you deserve that, that reward.
0: Mm. Yeah. I love it. Um, When it comes to, uh you know yourself and uh you know how you, you you said to me that you you were working in a job that you really didn't like or well, you you were tr- you were trying to live live a life of success that was perhaps pushed on you by society do you, what are your thoughts on you know i guess maybe for a big chunk of our audience that i guess you know are trying to to do the same in the sense that we uh, you know want to develop and build our own companies to obviously bring value to to other people's lives, but at the same time be successful and you know, um, have, have a sense of financial freedom as well from the sense that uh, you know we, we're in control of our own destiny. What are your thoughts on on that side of things or, or you know Silicon Valley, raising capital, or um, that side of the world? What are your thoughts on that? Do you think people, People can be truly happy, like, or do you think that is that is still part of that, you know, societal kind of push to to live a successful life?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think really, we have to really define what success means to us, right? And I I know that, like I said a second ago, I, I was I was a competitive person in in my twenties, and I think there are two different types of of competition, and maybe more. Uh, there's sort of friendly competition where it's just a, you know, a little contest or something, you know, playing basketball uh, is is friendly competition. And then there's sort of uh, the, the binary I win, you lose everything kind mm. of competition. Yeah. And uh, there's probably a bit of a spectrum there, but but. I think that that can breed a lot of discontent. You know, I live out in, in Montana now and I often go to the sauna with some native American tribes and they, they wow. uh, really schooled me on, on a few, uh, on a few, uh, on, on just a different mindset, really a few different ways to think. And one of them to me said, he was talking about how Americans are so competitive. And he said, you know, our tribe believes that competition is a mental illness. And, uh, wow so we we don't, we don't really understand like you win I lose like anyone in our tribe if you win I win if I win you win and the person who wants me to lose at something is mentally ill at least that's how it is in their culture now I wouldn't take it to that extreme but it was at least a different perspective and I enjoy surrounding myself with some of these different perspectives they at least let me look at something like competition and and being number one in an industry or, or whatever else those things can be great they can make us feel good but when all of our self-worth and success is tied up in in being number one then what happens when you're number two or number three or number five it used to be the number five would have been great for you but now you're depressed and getting ready to jump off a building and that's a, a that's not a recipe for for success in my book. You know, for me, success has a lot more to do with am I growing as an individual and am I able to contribute to other people in a meaningful way?
0: Mm. I love that perspective. Thank you. So final question, or two last questions. Uh, The first one is uh, for our audience, you know, aspiring novice, even some super successful uh, entrepreneurs or founders in, you know, quote unquote eyes of society, what would your recommendation be for them to, I guess, maybe not necessarily uh, go full kind of adopt, uh, you know, adopting a minimalist lifestyle or, or mindset, but perhaps uh, using using this way of life and the way of thinking about things to to benefit them. What would your advice be? And then, uh, lastly, um, you know, where's the best place people can find out more about your work?
1: Yeah, certainly. My my friend, uh, a guy named Rob Bell, often tells this little parable of there's a first century rabbi who's traveling from a nearby village, and um, he uh, he he reaches this fork in the road, and um, he he he, he's a little bit tipsy. He's been drinking. He just had dinner in this nearby village, and he's walking home. When he gets to that fork in the road, he knows that if he goes left, he thinks. He's not sure, but maybe the left path, is he'll end up at this Roman outpost, and and he doesn't want to end up there because the Roman soldiers will stop him. And, um, it's the wrong way to go because the right path will take him home, and he'll find his way home. And uh, so he goes left, and he's thinking that's the way home, but in uh, a few miles, he ends up at this Roman outpost, and there's this guard who yells down to him, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi just sort of looks up at him and the the guard yells down at him again, "Who are you and what are you doing here?" And the rabbi said, "How much are you are they paying you?" <laughs> and the guard just sort of looks at him puzzled. He goes, "No, seriously, how much are they how much are they paying you?" And uh the the guard says, "Well, they're paying me 100 dollars, whatever the equivalent is." and the denarii or whatever the currency of the time was. And the rabbi says, well, I will pay you twice that if you come to my house every morning and ask me that same question, who are you? And what are you doing here? And so that's my advice. If I had any advice, I would say, ask that question and be able to answer it. Who are you? And what are you doing here? We've all been given one life, exactly one life here on earth. And, uh, man, we better act accordingly.
0: Yeah. Wow. Love that story, man. That was really powerful. Thank you.
1: And uh, if people want to find me, uh, pretty easy to find. We're we're online at the minimalists on all the social medias and uh, the We have the minimalist podcast on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. And uh, our documentary is called minimalism, a documentary about the important things it's on. Netflix, iTunes, Amazon, all those fun places. And then we're in the middle of a tour right now, doing uh, 40 cities in North America. It's called the Less Is Now Tour. All the details of that are on our website. Ryan and I give an in-depth talk about minimalism. We record a live version of the Minimalist podcast, answer a bunch of questions, dish out a bunch of free hugs while we're out there on tour. And uh, we're in North America now. We're going to do Australia and and hopefully uh, Europe next year. So, uh, stay tuned for that. All the details over at com.
0: Awesome. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, Joshua. That was an incredible conversation, man. I really appreciated it. And uh, I'm going to start playing that game, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I'm really grateful for your time, Nate. And thank you so much for uh, for chatting with me today.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you as well. I really appreciate your time. Hope you have a great tour and I'll speak to you soon. All right. Take care, brother. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview